And now, a message from Pastor Josh Carmody. All right, so we've been studying, uh, you're good, in the book of Titus. Everybody say Titus. Titus. And uh, we've been studying the book of Titus for the last couple weeks now, and uh, it's a good study. We've been enjoying it, and uh, here's the story behind Titus. Titus is a, a guy's name, and uh, he worked a lot with Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. When you read uh, through the New Testament, after you get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or the Gospels, and you got the Acts of the Apostles, and you, you keep working your way through the Bible, and you've got Paul writing a majority of what's left. Not all of it, but a majority of what's left. And Paul planted churches and traveled, and he was a missionary and an apostle and a preacher and a, all of these things. And uh, and Titus was one of his co-workers, a buddy, a friend, who would go with him to various places. And so Paul leaves Titus on uh, this, this, this Greek island of Crete. And he leaves him there to finish the work that Paul started. And, and Pastor Mike talked a little bit about, about this last week and talked about it a little bit the week before. But he started this work that there was, the churches that had been established there were having some issues and needed some correction. They needed some changes uh, to happen. Anybody ever feel like you need some changes to happen in your life? And uh, so this church, the, the churches that had been established in these homes, they were needing uh, some work. They were needing some changes to take place. And so uh, Paul left uh, Titus in Crete to make some of these changes. And we've been talking uh, kind of about those that live in Crete. They're, they're known as the Cretans. And that word literally means the Greek word, uh, kretizo, which is where we get our word Cretan. That word literally means to, to be a liar. And so the, the Cretans, the people that lived on the island of Crete, they were known for being liars. They were known for being uh, great deceivers. They were known for uh, being very lazy, uh, very gluttonous, uh, very corrupt. I mean, just the place you want to go hang out, right? And, uh, and so Paul's like, Titus, I need you to stay here, and I need you to kind of fix that. I need you to fix those issues that are going on. And so last week, Pastor Mike talked about some of the qualifications, because um, that's the message series that we're talking about. It's called Unqualified. And uh, you and I, we are all unqualified uh, to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all unqualified, but because of God's good grace, he qualifies us, amen, uh, to do the good work. And uh, we need his help in all that we do. Let me, let me rephrase. I need his help in all that I do, and I think maybe you do too. Okay, it's weak, but I'll take it. So, um, as we look at this, last week we covered some some qualifications of a leader. Your Bible might say uh, elder. Depends what translation. If you haven't noticed, there's like a hundred translations in English, but there's uh, elder or bishop or you know you might see one of these different words. That that word, it, the, the Greek word is presbyter, and it it means that. It means a presbyter. It means an elder, a bishop. It also means a community leader, just a leader in general. And so that's kind of how we're approaching this study: is that we can be leaders in our homes. We can be leaders in the church. We can be leaders in the community. We can be leaders on the job, right? And so these qualifications, one of the qualifications was to be the husband of one wife or the wife of one husband. In other words, to have a marriage that is monogamous and faithful. Sounds like, thanks. I was hoping I'd get a couple amens. Um, that was a qualification uh, to be a, a good leader is a monogamous, faithful relationship with your spouse. Uh, one, some of the other qualifications was not short-tempered. Um, Jesus help me, right? Um, not too, we said that in unison back there. Not too pushy uh, is what it says. Not pushy, not a bully, uh, not greedy, not money hungry, 
not a drunk, right? And so he's going through all these qualifications. Like if you want to be a leader in your church, in your community, in your home, in your workplace, you can't be these things. These things unqualify you to be a leader. And so we kind of talked about that um, a little bit last week. And I want to carry on in uh, Titus uh, chapter 10. And I want you to know that as we go through these qualifications that we talked about last week and as we continue to talk today and uh, maybe we talk about some stuff and you're like, you know, Josh, I, I'm just not there yet. And here's the good news. None of us are completely there yet. Um, we're not looking for perfection. I know, I don't know if you're anything like me or not, but if you want to do something, you want to do it right and you want to do it perfect and you want to do it the right way the first time, anybody else like that? And, and some of you are like, no, I just want to get it done and I don't care how it looks. But um, <laughs> There's both sides of that. But I'm more of that idea. I want it to be perfect, but it's a process. It's I'm pursuing these things that Christ has laid out. And I'm pursuing those things. And I want my mind to change. And I want my heart to change. And I want my attitudes and perspectives to change because I'm not there yet. I had someone call me and they're like, are you sure you want me to be a leader in the church? Because I need work on a lot of these. And I said, yes, absolutely I do because I also need some work on these. We all do. If we could do them on our own strength, what would we need God for? If we could qualify ourselves to do anything and everything that we ever wanted to do, then what would we need God for? And so God is, is there to give us his good grace so that we can continue in what he's called us to do. So let me read uh, scriptures for you today out of Titus chapter 1, uh, verses 10 through 16. It says, For there are a lot of rebels out there full of loose, confusing, and deceiving talk. This is Paul talking to Titus about the people, the leaders in the church. Uh, those who were brought up religious and ought to know better are the worst. They've got to be shut up. They're, they're disrupting entire families with their teaching and all for the sake of a fast buck. One of their own prophets said it best. The Cretans are liars from the womb, barking dogs, lazy bellies. He certainly spoke the truth. Get on them right away. Stop that disease talk of Jewish make-believe and made-up rules so they can recover a robust faith. Everything is clean to the clean-minded and nothing is clean to dirty-minded unbelievers. They leave their dirty fingerprints on every thought and act. Check this out. They say they know God, but their actions speak louder than their words. They're real creeps, disobedient, good-for-nothings. So... Paul does not mince his words here. Um, and, uh, and so he's writing to Titus. He's like, listen, and here's the thing. The problem was very severe, and so it needed some severe language. But when Titus was to, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, rebuke or discipline to let them know the error of their ways, here's the thing. It's never done out of anger, but it's always done in love. So Paul's writing these things, and you got to understand, he's not saying, I just, I hate them and they're the worst. He's saying they need to be corrected because they're poisoning people, and they are hurting people, and they need to be corrected in love for their sake so that they can be restored back to the church, and for everybody else's sake who's having to listen to these guys, right? And so we see in these scriptures um, that there's definitely a problem uh, going on in these verses. And, and he says right off the bat, he says, for there are a lot of rebels out there. There's a lot of rebels. Uh, some translations say false teachers or false doctrine or liars or deceivers. There's, there's a lot of false teaching. There's a lot of bad things going on. There's a lot of people that are speaking false things in these churches. So there's a big problem. Everybody say big problem. Big problem. There's a big problem. And Titus gets to help fix it. 
Isn't that awesome? How many of you love it when someone comes to you and you said, you know, I think you need to change this and this. I mean, aren't you just in love with that person? Like, oh, thank you so much. Let me hug you, right? I mean, normally like you worry about yourself, mind your own business and I'll take care of me, right? And but who knows, maybe if you have a relationship with that person, maybe God's trying to use them to chip some things off of your life. Who knows? So that's Titus's role. That's his job. And Paul tells us some, some characteristics of these false teachers, these trouble. He says they're, they're troublemakers, that they're rebellious people. Rebellious. They're insubordinate. They're unruly. They do whatever they want to do. These are the leaders of the church in Crete. They just do whatever they want to do. They're unruly. They don't listen to direction. They don't have to obey anybody's order. They just do whatever they want, whenever they want. That's the kind of people that he's talking about. They were greedy. There was a, a writer, uh, he was a Cretan writer actually, and from the island of Crete, and his name, let me see if I get this right, is Epimenetus or Epimenetus. I don't know. But he's a poet, he's a writer. And this is what he said about his own people. He said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. I mean, wonderful people, <laughs> right? And, and this is someone from Crete talking about his own fellow Cretans saying they're always liars and they're gluttons and they're lazy. And Paul didn't disagree. And Paul said, and you know it's true, right? I mean, he said you can tell from firsthand they were corrupt, I mean, you read in these scriptures, they might not have even believed in Jesus. They might not have believed in his resurrection. You say, well, how could they possibly be in charge of a church? Well, think about it. If they're liars and deceivers and that corrupt, they, who knows how people get into power, but normally the exchange of money or they pretend to be, like the end of the scripture, it says they pretend to be religious, but they're not. They know nothing. Their actions speak louder than their words. And so, and however it worked, they get to themselves to this place of power, but they're not leading well. They're corrupt and unbelieving, and they claim to know God, but they don't act anything like him. If you know God, if you and I know God, we should try to act like him more and more each and every day. Amen. If you and I say we're Christians, I am a, a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, a little Christ, that you and I are Christ-like, if we say that we are a Christian, but then the entire weekend we just drink till we can't see straight, but we get up for church because we're Christians, <laughs> or we gossip all week long about how horrible everybody, not us, but how horrible everybody else is and how they need to change their life. And I'm just telling them because I'm a Christian. I want them to know. No? I mean, living for Christ means that we're going to be acting like Christ. And it's the same thing here. We, they claim that they know God, but they didn't act like it. I, they weren't trustworthy. They were teaching things that were harmful. They were poisoning, not literally, but they were teaching bad things. They were teaching Jewish myths. They were just making up Stories, or they were telling wives' tales or fables or just different things about this is what happened in our Jewish faith and this is what happened in our faith and let's worship these people and let's talk about them. And it's like they weren't even teaching Scripture. They were coming up with their own laws. 
And this is how you need to behave, or this is what you need to do, or you can't do this, but you can do this. Like, if you've been in this church, this church has been going for 34 years. And in the early days of New Covenant Christian Church, if you walked in with a hat on, you were asked to remove your hat. Now, some of you are in here wearing hats. Don't worry. I'll explain it. We say, now, they come in, that is nothing that you can find in the Bible. Nowhere can you find in the Bible that says when you step in, you should take off your hat. It's not in there. But we had a man-made law that said, you must take off your hat. Or some churches say, you have a man-made law that this is what you can wear to church. Or you cannot wear this to church. And there are these man-made laws. Well, I got news for you, back to the hat thing, is that there's scripture that says, you can go to the lowest depths of the earth and God still knows you. And he knows where you're at and his presence can be with you. Or you can be at the highest place and he knows where you're at or everywhere in between that you cannot escape or outrun God's love for you. So I'm pretty sure a baseball cap is going to be okay. If he can plumb the deepest depths, I'm pretty sure he can look through the the hat. Unless it's a bear's hat. Then he... So, now, lion's hat, I mean, those are like holy. You know, if you get Detroit lion's hat. Okay, so now this is a good example of false doctrine. All right, so that's all I was doing for you, just helping you guys out to connect the dots, right? So man-made laws, false teachings, all that stuff. It was prevalent in the day of Crete, in these churches. And this is the type of stuff that Titus said, this is all wrong. They were harming families and people. It was poisonous. I mean, the the scriptures say that that whole families, it was affecting whole families. And that, that, that lives were being pulled apart and that bad things were happening to families because of bad teaching. And here's the thing. If the devil can disrupt our family, he can disrupt our future, can't he? If he can disrupt our families, he can disrupt our futures. And so there was an attack on the family. I mean, there's bad things going on. So now we understand when Paul says those things that we're all like, what? When he says they're real creeps, they're disobedient, good for nothings. I mean, they're leading people into sin. They're disrupting families. They're making some really bad choices. And they're doing way more harm than they are good. And he says, listen, this has to stop. The Message Bible says, shut up. You need to stop. Shut them up. Some translations say, rebuke them sharply. That word rebuke means sharp disapproval and correction. So disapprove what they are doing. Let them know what you are doing, I do not approve of. And then correct them and say, instead, live your life this way. And there's a need for true leaders. They needed to get those false leaders out, those false teachers out, those people that were deceiving and hurting others. Get them out of that place and bring in other people who are not maybe not more qualified, but those that we're open to the fact that Jesus, this, I want you to take my life. I want you to change me. I'm not perfect. And I don't do all these things perfectly, but I want to live my life for you. And I want to passionately pursue all that you have for my life. And I had no idea that getting drunk all weekend long was something you did not want me to do. But now that I know that, I'm going to do my very best and get accountability partners and do whatever I have to do so that I don't spend my weekends drunk. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be short-tempered. I thought it was okay because I'm Irish. I thought I got a pass on that one. You don't get a pass 
on it because you're Irish. But now that you know it's an issue, you say, Jesus, take this from my life. I'm sorry. I repent of it. Does that mean you will never be short-tempered again? No, you'll probably mess up every now and again. But you're working on it. You're moving in that direction. You don't want to be like that anymore. It's like, and I don't mean to gossip. It just, people come tell me things. What am I supposed to do with it? Well, if they're coming to you and they need help, you pray for them and help them. If they're coming to you to gossip, you say, I'm sorry, but my ears don't hear that. If you would like to talk about you and why this is affecting you and how you would like to change or have help as a result of this, I'm all for it. But I will not allow my ears to participate. Okay, enough said about that one, right? Because we want to be like Christ. Are we going to do it perfect every time? No. But we try. We move that direction. You know, I think you and I, we can be true leaders, and it starts with one word. And then the word I picked is genuine. Everybody say genuine. Our word genuine means truly what something is said to be. It's authentic. I saw, I was looking through a, a Facebook site that someone had mentioned to me. It's something about like a guy, you know, buy stuff, man stuff, you know, anything you could ever want for men. It's just like an awesome like guy stuff, tools. And, but anyway, I scroll, I'm like, why is there, there's a diamond ring on there. I was like, why is there a diamond ring? But I was like, oh, the guy buys it for his wife or fiance or whatever, right? But it, it said it was like a two-carat ring and verified this and this and this. And, and what, you know, it was, they were basically saying that this diamond is authentic. It's genuine. It is what it says. Now, if you go and you buy that ring for $5,000 and it's cubic zirconia, yeah, right. that is not genuine and it is not worth $5,000, right? It's worth 150 bucks, whatever, right? And, and so I think you and I, we need to be authentic. We need to be, I like this, truly what something is said to be. Truly what some, if we say we're Christians, we should act like, we should act like Jesus Christ, right? Verse 16 says, they say they know God, but their actions speak louder than their words, that's how if you know if you, you cook a meal for somebody and you're like, did you like that? And they're like, yeah. Would you like seconds? No. <laughs> Actions speak louder. They're, they're probably full. Dessert? Yes, please. Double amount, right? I mean, they were still hungry. They just didn't like what you gave them, right? I mean, that's just one of those things. So actions, <laughs> our actions speak louder than what we say. Yeah, I'm a Christian. When I said it, it must be true. <laughs> act like it. We gotta act like it. There's a scripture in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 I want to read. It says, you should know this. This is Paul actually writing to Timothy while he's in Ephesus. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be proud and boast, boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Does it sound like the same kind of church at Crete that was going on? They'll be unloving, unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. 
They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with I keep messing that one up. Be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. Verse 5. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now, if we're supposed to stay away from people like that, we need to make sure we aren't people like that. I mean, that's first and foremost. And uh, this last little bit, I mean, that's a long list of all kinds of things that we don't want to be, but that verse 5 really hits it home. They will act religious. They will act like Christians, but they will reject the power that actually makes them godly. It's only a facade. I'll just act religious. I'll put on a show. But they deny the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. This might be the first time you're hearing this. I don't know. But when you are saved, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, His Holy Spirit lives and reigns on the inside of you. And the Bible says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and I. And that we have access to the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I mean, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. I can't stop smiling. That's the kind of power we have in our life. We don't want to just act religious or say we're a Christian. We want to live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in our lives. You can read in the Bible, and we do not have time to go through all of this today, but there's gifts of the Spirit. You guys heard of gifts of the Spirit? Words of wisdom and knowledge and healing and miracles and We've been given a prayer language where we can speak in tongues and we don't understand it. And the devil doesn't understand it, but the Holy Spirit who gives us utterance to speak them, he knows it and God the Father knows it. And so it's a prayer language that we speak that we don't even know what we're saying, but we pray in those times when we don't know what to pray. Or even those times, the Bible says, so that we can encourage ourselves or so that we can encourage others. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are. Are for. We believe in the God of miracles who heals us, mind, soul, and body, don't we? Yes. So we believe in the gifts of the Spirit and that the Spirit working in us and through us is able to change hearts and lives. And there's another thing beyond, beyond the gifts of the Spirit, and that's only a few, and there are so many, but there's also the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. You guys heard of these? And kindness. They're the things that we need the Holy Spirit in us because it is very hard for me to be patient. Amen. It's very hard for me to be patient. That's why I need the Holy Spirit in me to produce that fruit in my life. You know, I was noticing the, the fruits of the Spirit. You have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You have all of these. How many of you have ever been in Walmart? You've been Target, you've been Hy-Vee, you've been somewhere shopping? You pick up a box and you look at the nutrition facts. Anybody of you that are into it? Who looks at the nutrition facts? Anybody? So you look at the nutrition facts, and the very first nutrition facts, the very first word under it, whatever it is, like if it's 
you know, juice, 100% juice. First ingredient, water. <laughs> Doesn't sound like juice. Water, right? So the very first ingredient on those nutrition facts, that's, what, that's the most that's in there. So like whatever that ingredient is, that thing is made up mostly of that first ingredient. And then the second, and then the third, and then you get down to the like things you can't pronounce, and you're like, I'm sure it's safe. Who knows, but I'm eating it, right? All that stuff. And you get to that, that's the trace amount. That's a small amount. That's a little bit, right? And so here we have the fruit of the Spirit, and I just found it shocking that the very first fruit is love. Like, maybe we should be full of love. I don't know, just a thought. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Maybe the Holy Spirit in us leads us to love. The gifts operate. The whole point of the gifts, you can read it in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and in other places. The gifts operate in love to encourage others in the body and to build up your faith. And so they operate out of love. The Holy Spirit leads us in love. Look at what 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says. 13, 13, excuse me. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. Look at this. The best of these three is love. Love. You think love's important? Do you think love is important? Yes. Scripture says that we should trust steadily in God. I don't know if you've noticed, but in this world, we're going to have troubles and tribulation. John 16, 33. But be of good cheer for who has overcome the world. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And as you live your day-to-day -day life, some days it might feel like you're up here, and some days it might feel like you're down here, and then some days it might feel like you're back up here, and then kind of here, and then kind of back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sure. Yeah. And it's like roller coaster. And it's all over the place. We can trust steadily in God. That even though these things are happening and things are going on, we can continue to trust in God and that he loves us and he cares for us and he has our best interest in mind. And it says that we can hope unswervingly. I like that. We can hope unswervingly. That we can have a confident expectation that our tomorrow will be better than today. That we have a confident expectation that five years from now will be better than our last five years. There's a confident expectation. There is a hope that no matter how dark this world gets, and no matter how bad things get, and no matter who gets elected into what office, when, where, and any time, it doesn't matter. Because our hope is in Jesus Christ. Not any other leader or politic or job or any other manner of security that you want to throw in that blank. We can trust in God and hope unswervingly in Him only. If you put your hope in your retirement account, some days it's really awesome, and some days it's really bad. I remember when there was the, the dip in the stock market years ago, and someone said, well, I lost a large-sized home yesterday. Just gone. Just vanished. Because the money in the stocks went down. You put your hope in that, that's called a swerve. And it's like, uh-oh, what am I going to do now? And I panic. And I get scared, right? And then that good day just turned into a really bad month. Because you're nervous and sick and scared of that. Hope unswervingly in Jesus. And the last one, love 
extravagantly. Everybody say extravagantly. extravagantly. Now here's the thing. We will not ever trust hope or love perfectly. There's some things that are going to rock our world and where we know we're supposed to trust in God and hope in Him and we know we're supposed to love extravagantly, but it's hard. And we don't do it right or we mess up. And we don't, you know, but here's the thing. We're not about perfection. We're about pursuit. We're in pursuit of those things. God, show me how to trust you more. God, show me how to love extravagantly. God, continue to push those boundaries in my life. God, continue to develop those things in my life. Do we pursue it? Do we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us or not? You know, I had the opportunity a few weeks ago. I was with a group of like 30 people, and uh, we were at the Fort Dodge Correctional Facility, and it otherwise known as the prison, um, but they don't call them prisons anymore. They are facilities. So we were at the Fort Dodge Correctional Facility. And we were uh, talking just kind of about uh, being more civil-minded, talking about the prison and some things that are going on in there that the incarcerated individuals, they're not inmates, they're incarcerated individuals, the things that they are doing inside the prison to better themselves and the education and um, the backpack buddy program that goes on at the schools, they're a big part of helping that all move. So we're living, learning about all these like civic opportunities and engagements and, and how all these things happen. So we're at the prison and they said we're going to go on a tour. Now I had no idea what to expect. They said we're going to tour the prison. It's like, all right. And I guess I just assumed that meant they would show us a few rooms and like, here's what we do and here's what's going on. No, it meant like, let's go out into this hallway and then let's go out this door and then you're, there's, there's the common area. There's the, the, the grounds. You're outside. There's the, the weight area, and there's the other weight area, and there's some grass, and there's the softball field, and there's some volleyball, and there's some grills, and there's this, and it's like, no, we're just, we're in it. There's people walking around. There's people mingling. There's, there's incarcerated individuals to the tune of 1,400 of them just hanging out. So I was kind of like, oh, this is what we're doing. All right. Let's go. You know, and uh, we're groups of six or seven people. We've got a CO with us, and we got you know corrections officer. He's there and, and and helping us out and walking with us and stuff. And and so you know you feel you know, as safe as you can. And uh, you're walking around, and, and there's buildings. There's just a bunch of buildings. It's like all right. So we I'm like, we'll just go see a building, and then we're probably done, right? No, we saw every single building. <laughs> and we walked into those buildings, and now I expected I don't know what I was expecting, but I was like, oh, there's people in here. <laughs> Duh. Um, <laughs> But they're just wandering around, doing their thing, going to work, uh, showering right, right there. It's an all-male prison, but we had females with us. And so at this point, their eyes were like, <laughs> you know, I mean, doing like just, you know, and asking the CEO, like, why, why are we here? And like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. They're used to it. it is what it is. Let's move on. Every single pot. It's people, Right. Found out there's about 57 people at our prison in Fort Dodge serving life. Now, obviously, those are some pretty big crimes, murder charges, convictions, right? To spend the rest of your life, it could be other things, but a lot of times that's what it is. So we're kind of moving along, but now I kind of learned that piece of knowledge, and it's just like my heart broke for them. And I knew they made a bad choice, and they got them in there, and there's consequences for your actions. I understand all that, but it's just like a this is a reality. Like, this is, some, I mean, it's someone's home. Like, it, you know, it just kind of messed my head for a little while. Like, this is their home. This is where they live. Like, they allowed me into their home. And, I mean, we're seeing them in there. I mean, they're doing things in their home that you would do in your home. It's like, wow. We're in one of the pods, I call them that for a lack of a better term. And 
ran into someone I know. Didn't think twice. Hey, how's it going? Handshake, hug. We're in prison, right? We're just taking a tour. <laughs> it's like, well, am I not supposed to touch them, right? But <laughs> hug them. Good to see you, you too. Be praying for you. Awesome, thanks, man. Away we go. Turn back to my group, and they're all just like, The CEO was even kind of just like, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, <laughs> it's like now, from now on, they're going to probably be like, no touching the incarcerated individuals. Um, I kind of thought when I turned back around and seeing their faces, I'm like, oh, no, I hope they don't think I like gave them something like <laughs> contraband or something. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I got nothing. You can search me. I promise. I'm good. Um, That's called a but uh, so we're in there. And I was like, you know, this all happened. And, and one of the, the ladies, you know, she's looking at me like, just kind of bewildered. She says, is that a friend of yours? Because <laughs> why would I have a friend in prison? And that was, the, that was what, you know, she's saying. And so I had to bite my tongue to not be like, well, I'll answer your judgmental question. Um... <laughs> didn't say that. I didn't say, yeah, he's been to church a bunch of times. That's where I met him. Wondering where he's been. <laughs> um, now I know. Um, didn't want to go down that road. And I was like, you know what? I've lived before Dodge a, lot, a long time. I know a lot of people and just uh, an acquaintance of mine and somebody I know. And I just kind of left it at that. And everybody was kind of like, okay. And we just kind of moved on, finished up our tour and and we're done. And that, that lesson really just showed me that obviously I was okay with hugging that incarcerated individual because I had that relationship with him. Everybody else in my group was pretty flabbergasted that I would do that because obviously they might not know a lot of incarcerated individuals. And there might be some judgment there. Or who knows what's going on? I wouldn't have wanted to be a woman going into a prison with 14. You know what I mean? Like that could be intimidating. Like, so I understand that. But the thing is, for me, think about it, 57 are going to stay there for life, and the other 13, 50 are going to move out and live next door to you and me. But here's the difference. They're not going to just be wearing blue and gray when they move out, and they're not going to just tell you that they've been an incarcerated individual. And so I guess my thoughts on some of those things have been broadened to the fact that I was comfortable without even thinking about it of giving a prisoner a hug and talking to him like we were out on the street because I've met a, enough people that have done prison time that I realize that they're good people who made a bad choice right. Amen. and that God still loves them Amen. now am I perfect at that? no do I have room to grow? absolutely and I don't know where you're at in all of that. You might have been one of them that were just like, oh, he did what? Or maybe you're like, no, i totally comfortable with prison. I don't know. We're all at different places. So are we pursuing trust? Are we pursuing hope? Are we pursuing love and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives? First John 4 says this, my beloved friends, let's continue to love each other since love comes from God. 
Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with him. Check this out. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. And this is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once and upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. And let me bring this full circle for us. If the leaders in those churches at Crete were motivated by love, those churches would have been completely different. If they had been motivated by love, those churches would have been completely different. Because here's the thing, if we're motivated by love, then we're not going to be greedy. We're not going to be rebellious. We're not going to be harmful, arrogant, or detestable. Because if we're people who love, then we genuinely have a concern for others and we want to make this world a better place. We want to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. We don't care who they are or what they've done, but we welcome and accept them just as they are. And so we love them because that's what God did for us. I don't know about you, but I can be pretty unlovely sometimes. Unlovable. But God still chose to love me. When we love, we desire the best for others, and when we love, we lead others to God's love. Amen. When we love, we desire the best in others. And then all those problems that were going on in the church, they don't have to happen here because we love one another. And when we love one another, we direct them to the love of God. For more information on New Covenant, contact us at 3318 Fifth Avenue South, Fort Dodge, Iowa, 50501. Or you can call us at 515 955 6222.